BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at tmobile.com slash now. Pushkin. Previously on Deep Cover. I think I got a message from... Columbia security saying they wanted to talk to me. And I was like, oh, shit. I remember the chief asking me, like, how far are you going to take this? <laughs> and I said, chief, until I can interview Esther Reed, I can't clear this tip. I went to get a U-Haul truck because I had decided I'm freaking getting out of here. So I went upstairs, packed the quickest bag I could pack, grabbed my dogs, called a cab, and left. What did you do with the U-Haul? left it there. That's kind of crazy. I know. All of it's crazy. I was scared. When Esther fled New York City, she didn't get very far. Basically, she just crossed the Hudson River and stopped a few miles away in Secaucus, New Jersey, got a hotel room. She was with her two little Shih Tzus, Poochin and Odie, and they were just looking at her, the way dogs do, as if to say, What's the plan, boss? Like, what is going through your brain when you're in that hotel room in uh, Jersey? I have no no idea. I mean, that was absolute panic. Uh, I knew I needed to get a flight. And so I remember I needed vet certificates for my dogs to fly. So she finds a vet who basically certifies that these dogs don't have rabies or whatever. And then she comes up with a plan. She decides to fly to Ohio. And then, a few weeks later, catches a ride to Chicago using a ride share that she found on Craigslist. Your, your life is like one series of ridiculous, like, yes. logistical challenges. Like, you're on the, you are on the run at this point. That is, that's... Yes. I, I didn't necessarily view myself. I, I was still hoping that it wouldn't be a big deal and they would, like, be over it. 
So I didn't realize I was on the run. I just kept thinking like, eh. Well, come on. I mean, you 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 left the U-Haul in front of your apartment and left your apartment like you. I mean, at that moment I was, but I was, I, was, I, I should say that I, I knew I was on the run, but I still was thinking I can avoid trouble. Like if I could just like lay low, uh, this could work out. I'm a, a, an undying optimist. And so I, I really did think like maybe they won't be able to find me, just that it would become a cold case. <clears throat> and like they would stop devoting resources to it. And it might have become a cold case. After all, at this point, Esther was just a missing person of interest in a possible case of identity theft. And finding her, it was all about resources. Like how badly do you want to find her? And unless her case became some kind of top priority, which it currently wasn't, well, then there wouldn't be much of a manhunt, or womanhunt, as it were. As far as Esther was concerned, she was relatively safe. Meanwhile, down in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, John Campbell was kind of at a loss. He was supposed to be solving the case of Brooke Henson, who'd vanished seven years before. It was now 2006, and this whole other thing with Esther Reed up at Columbia, it was just a lead that John was chasing down, a tip, a kind of side trail that he'd been jogging down in the hopes of finding Brooke, or at least a clue as to what had happened to Brooke. But Esther's trail was getting cold. She fled New York City in the summer, and by Christmas time, six months later, John still had no idea where Esther was. And he was no closer to solving the Brooke Henson case either. John's boss wanted an update. We had a new chief of police and he came in and he said, where are we on this Henson tip thing? I said, we're dead in the water. I mean, she didn't show up to to give a DNA sample like she said she would. She hasn't been back to her apartment. Nobody knows. She hasn't been to class. Nobody knows where she went. She's in the wind. She's gone. John's boss, the chief, had shared some information about the case with the local press. But apparently, they wanted more details. So the chief tells John, Open the file and let the press have whatever they want. And I said, are are you sure? (laughs) Are you kidding? Because we've never done that. And he's like, yeah, we're an open book. And I said, okay, I mean, he's the chief. The Traveler's Rest Police Department shared what they knew with the local press, told them that there was this imposter who'd stolen Brooke's identity and gotten into an Ivy League school, and for the first time revealed her name publicly, Esther Reed. We opened the book and we told them everything we had, and then they took that and ran. This decision to open the file turns out to be a huge deal. John shares the evidence and the case history, but also his espionage theories even if some of those theories were half-baked. And I should note, not everyone in law enforcement was buying into John's ideas. Over at the Secret Service, Don Long was skeptical, but the Secret Service wasn't talking to the media. John was. Point is, once John started talking, he set something in motion, a media juggernaut. Pretty soon, everyone would know about Esther Reed and finding her would become more than just a priority for law enforcement. It would become a reality TV show of sorts, a contest to see who could find her first.
I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover. Season three, never seen again. Episode 4, A Very Sophisticated Gale. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to lifelock.com slash iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at lifelock.com slash iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. So, the local TV station down in Greenville, South Carolina, runs its story. And right away, John Campbell's phone rings. On the other end was a guy named Tom Colbert from California. Tom was a former news guy, used to work for CBS and Paramount. But now he had his own business. He worked closely with local journalists. They would feed him tips, and then Tom would pass the best ones along to the big media outlets. Tom charged a finder's fee, of course, and he gave a cut to the local news guys. He was basically a middleman. And Tom, he was good at his job. Some people called him... The gem hunter. Because Tom, he found the gems. Anyway, Tom gets this tip from a TV reporter in Greenville about the Esther Reed story. And right away, he calls John Campbell to get his take on Esther. 
He talked about the potential for being a Russian spy, going to various universities undercover. It had so many interesting elements. The fact that it could be involved with espionage, uh, that wasn't clear to me until John really laid it out and said, no, I, I really think this gal has a different name for other reasons. I thought it was maybe just for money, trying to get into bank accounts. No, and he said, no, this is a very sophisticated gal. This was John's pet theory, that Esther was a spy. He stressed the fact that Esther had dated several military men, including two West Point cadets and a Naval Academy midshipman, and that she seemed to be a master at creating aliases and then vanishing. Tom was intrigued. I mean, there are a lot of people stealing names But something dealing with espionage, spies, that was a fascinating, fascinating development and opened my eyes. Tom jumped on the story. Within a day or so, he sent out a press release. It told the story of how John Campbell was tracking down a mysterious con artist. It quotes John as saying, she's incredibly bright, articulate, and a conniving, manipulative person, almost to the point of being pathological. The press release also says that Esther seduced several military men. It adds, quote, Reed allegedly has been funded through mysterious money orders for years from sources in Germany and Italy. She has told lovers she is a professional chess player. The press release had a long list of contacts, including John Campbell, Esther's sister, and also the Fleischmanns, her ex-boyfriend's parents. Three days later, Esther was on the front page of the New York Post. The banner headline was Kleptobraniac, ID Thief Scams Colleges. The article heralded her as a brazen brunette beauty. It included comments from both John Campbell and Ian's father, Fred Fleischman, suggesting that Esther was a spy. The article ended with a quote from John saying, the $1 million question is where she turns up next and is who? It was kind of like the old children's game, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Only a version that was spy-themed and a bit sexed up. The article had some facts and a lot of conjecture. It made for great reading. That's what really set off a firestorm of the phones ringing. John suddenly had to balance being a detective, a spokesman, and a dad, because he had a toddler at the time. I have a little office in the police department, and I'd be there for hours and hours and hours. So my son's like on the floor, playing under my desk, playing with his Hot Wheels in the hallway and stuff like that, while I'm on the phone with the press. (laughs) For a while, it basically became a full-time job for John. So anybody that called, I talked to anybody. They could get me on the phone. And I talked for days straight. The phone rang for days, nonstop from reporters. And when people couldn't get a hold of me, they just published whatever somebody else, whatever I told somebody else. There's all kinds of things that say, John Campbell said, I'm like, I never talked to that guy in my whole life. I don't even know who that is. You know? <laughs> As the newspaper clippings piled up, things got serious. A grand jury formally indicted Esther. This happened in September of 2007, roughly a year after Esther fled New York City. Prosecutors charged her with fraud and identity theft. They said Esther fraudulently obtained a copy of Brooks' birth certificate, 
applied for a U.S. passport, and took out more than $100,000 in student loans. And with this indictment, Esther officially became a federal fugitive. Meanwhile, 48 Hours, the CBS news show, picked up the story. They decided to do a full-hour segment on Esther Reed. In fact, they ultimately did two segments, and I want to share some excerpts from both of them. Capture the Queen, tonight's 48 Hours Mystery. The producers hired a professional sleuth to track Esther down. My name is Stephen Rombaum. I'm a private investigator, and I am currently hunting for Esther Reed. Over the course of his career, Stephen had chased after some pretty serious bad guys, including Nazi war criminals. Now, Stephen told viewers about his latest target. This is a woman that completely reinvented herself from being a chubby Montana high school dropout to an attractive Ivy League co-ed able to con her way into Harvard, into Columbia, going to military balls at West Point. She is certainly not above using her feminine wiles to get whatever she wants. So Stephen, the private eye, he hits the road looking for Esther. It's pretty wild, actually, because at this point, there's the official law enforcement search for Esther Reed being led by the Secret Service and John Campbell. And then there's the made-for-TV version of this search, being led by Stephen. And along with him, one of the show's hosts, Peter Van Zandt. How do you begin? Well, we begin by finding out everything we can about her background, her aliases, places where she's lived. Rombaum heads first to Esther's last known address, the Manhattan apartment where she was living as Brooke Henson. And then we see Steve Rombaum going through Esther's abandoned possessions. Thank goodness her landlord saved all of this. This is just extraordinary. It's everything a private eye could hope for. A treasure trove of documents from Esther's life as Brooke. She left behind her credit card bills, her bank statements, her phone bills. Countless, countless leads. So Steve is gathering some pretty important clues about where Esther might be. Good old-fashioned detective work. But there are other moments when the story feels pure tabloid, and it's less about financial crimes and more about Esther's personal life. Here's the show's host, Peter Van Zandt, again. And some of her targets were the men she was dating. How many men do you think Esther Reed has gone through? I'm aware of about a dozen. They talked about her like she was some sort of femme fatale. And that's kind of the vibe throughout these two episodes. The producers pick up on the whole spy theory and run with it. They get a hold of some instant messages between Esther and one of her West Point boyfriends. In the exchange, the boyfriend says that he's been studying maps and timelines in his military science class. Esther wrote back, I want to see it when you're finished. Steve, the private eye, gives his analysis on this, too. This is a classic method of espionage, using, using sex and using intimacy to get this sort of information. I mean, this is Matahari 101. Matahari. I want to dive into this reference for a sec. Matahari was an exotic dancer who was accused of being a spy during World War I. In old photos... She's dressed as a belly dancer, wearing a jewel-encrusted bra. Doesn't look a thing like Esther Reed. And yet, there's some really interesting parallels. 
Mata Hari was actually a Dutch woman named Margarita Zella. She too was running from a troubled past. Parents divorced, mom died. She was left with relatives she didn't care for. So she reinvented herself. Told some she was a Javanese princess and others that she was an Indian temple dancer. During the war, a French intelligence officer became convinced that she was a spy. There wasn't a ton of proof, but in the end, she was executed by a firing squad. Since then, she's become a legend, a stock character, like the mean stepmother or the evil CEO. And the thing about stock characters is we believe in them. We look for them and we call them out even when the facts don't add up. Hello? Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. I think we're... Yes, 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 we're, we're going. Well, right. if, if, if not, I'm not redoing the phone call. I reached out to Steve Rombaum, the private eye. I was still wondering about the whole spy thing. Like, back then, how serious were people in the media and in law enforcement about this espionage theory? They were concerned that, you know, maybe she's a spy for Iran, maybe she's a spy for, for uh, you know, Russia. Both of those things actually came up. Uh, I'll confess I laughed, but not everybody laughed. Steve says he never really bought into the idea that Esther was a spy or a master criminal of any kind. I mean, you know, this was not a young female Bernie Madoff who stole millions. You're talking about defrauding the scholarship system and getting a fake birth certificate and building a false identity. I can introduce you to probably 10,000 people who've done, who've done the same or worse. So I asked him... What was it then about the Esther Reed case that the media was so keen on? Number one, she was a young female that they, they were able to make it look like she was one step ahead of the uh, combined investigative forces of America, um, which I have to tell you wasn't true. Because federal agents were working on bigger cases and didn't think that this was, you know, a major national security event until everybody made it look like that. And then there was the spy story and the whole perception that she was a femme fatale, not to mention the fact that she had conned the Ivy Leagues. Basically, as far as I could tell, it all just made for good TV. Steve told me that he didn't want to badmouth the media because of all the good he's seen it do. I'll be very honest. I'm not going to be hypocritical and deny this. I've worked with the media dozens of times to get important and, and urgent matters, you know, into the public eye and kind of nudge law enforcement. These were cases where kids had gone missing or where Steve was tracking down alleged war criminals, important matters that had been overlooked, stories that Steve felt should be at the top of the media food chain. I think moving Esther Reed to the top of the food chain was, you know, a wee bit cynical. Well... Do you feel like you were a part of that at all? Sure. Sure. I mean, I was working a case. I did not say anything during that case to anyone that was in the slightest bit exaggeration. We'll be right back. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. When Steve Rombaum was filming for 48 hours and crisscrossing the country, tracking down Esther Reed, he remained confident in his mission I would be very surprised if we don't find her. If I didn't genuinely believe that, I wouldn't be daring enough to say it on television. But by the time the first 48 Hours special aired in December of 2007, Steve hadn't found her. And the story was just getting bigger and bigger. Around the same time, the legendary TV show America's Most Wanted also ran a story on Esther and some other female fugitives, too. They called the episode... Bad Girls. America's Most Wanted was a big deal back then, especially if you worked in law enforcement. Like, if you got your case on that show, it greatly increased the chances that you'd catch your fugitive. Because so many people watched the show and then called in with tips. When I spoke with Don Long, the Secret Service agent, he told me he was actually surprised that Esther made it onto the show, which makes sense to me. 
I mean, she was not a domestic terrorist or a serial killer or a bank robber. But be that as it may, she was now on everyone's radar. The, the fact that this was highlighted on America's Most Wanted certainly um, you know, raised or elevated the level here within the Secret Service. Um, it also enlightened me on some investigative steps I could take to highlight the case even more within my own agency. Don talked to his superiors at headquarters in D.C. and made the case that Esther should also be on the Secret Service's most wanted list. They agreed and put her on the list. The way Don saw it, he had a job to do, and this helped him do it. The more people that are looking for your suspect, the better chance you have of finding them. Esther's face and her story were now everywhere, and the feds had made it clear. Capturing her was officially a priority. So you're probably wondering at this point, what was Esther doing while all this was happening? Like, how was she processing this media circus? Well, the short answer is, it took a while for the circus to get underway. Esther had actually been on the run for a year and a half by the time the first 48 Hours story ran. And during all this time leading up to that, Esther cut off all contact with her old friends. Did you... Stay in touch with anyone during that time? No. No, absolutely nobody knew where I was at. Nothing. Did you make new friends? Mm Mm-mm. You were just like solo with... My babies, yes. With your dogs. (laughs) Wow, that's a long time to be solo. Yes. It was a very, very bad period. Esther stayed at cheap rentals and motels, mainly in the Midwest. She says she squeaked by. For money, she had this little trick where she bought clothing at JCPenney on sale and then found a way to return the merchandise for the full price. She says she was just taking advantage of a loophole in the system. I think it's safe to say it was a scam. During this time, she pretty much became a shut-in. She says she was laying low, hoping this would all just blow over. And to be honest, this is a part of her story that I didn't fully get. Like, wasn't she Googling herself? Part of it may have been denial, but Esther also told me that she worried that by inputting certain search terms about herself, that she might tip off the authorities and give away her location. So she didn't do it. Then one day, she was up in Michigan, staying in a motel. She was in her room with her dogs, watching TV, when a very brief segment on Fox News came on, featuring her. And I remember seeing my picture and it saying Esther Reed. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, literally, oh, shit. This isn't going to go away. Esther says the segment was short, but it told her enough. It told her that the authorities were looking for her. And they had started connecting the dots, uncovering at least some of the aliases that she'd used. I knew they would probably be able to figure out that I wasn't Brookenton, but I didn't think they um, would connect Burkenton to Esther Reed. Up until then, she had believed that her aliases would help keep her safe. She held on to all of her paperwork, all of her fraudulently obtained IDs. Yeah, I hold on to everything. You had your, like, Jason Bourne wallet with all your IDs. Yes. It was hidden in the bottom of my trunk, where I always kept it. But she realized that none of that would keep her safe any longer. In fact, those IDs were now a liability. 
Immediately, I went and cut up every piece of ID I had on me. (laughs) I cut it all up, like, with little scissors into tiny little pieces and flushed them. Wow, you were really pretty. Well, I felt like they might be coming right this moment, you know, like... I don't handle panic very well, clearly. There were so many instances where Esther could have come clean, turned herself in quietly without much fanfare, and maybe straightened everything out. But not now. So you you cut all these up and flush them on the toilet, and then what? I think then I just sat on the bed and panicked. Esther didn't know the full extent of it or how it had happened. But this thing, this story, it had grown, building momentum like a tsunami. A local TV reporter in Greenville, South Carolina, had tipped off Tom Colbert, the gem hunter, who then brought it to the national media. Before long, it was a newspaper cover story, then fodder for cable news, and finally, a full-blown hour on one of America's best-known TV shows. There were no longer any easy outs, no explaining this away. Yeah, sure, maybe she was no Bernie Madoff. And yeah, perhaps the espionage theory was just that, a theory. But at this point, it didn't matter. The public was now hooked, and so were people in positions of power. They were all looking for the mystery girl, the Matahari. And Esther, she was it. The question now, was there any place left for her to hide? Next time on Deep Cover. I mean, we were chasing her around the country and, you know, we would look at each other and say, how, how are we not finding this young girl who, you know, stole some identities? But good grief, guys, we're the federal government here. We ought to be able to do that. Cover is produced by Amy Gaines and Jacob Smith. It's edited by Karen Shikurji. Mastering by Jake Gorski. Our show art was designed by Sean Carney. Original scoring and our theme was composed by Luis Guerra. Fact-checking by Arthur Gompertz. Special thanks to Mia Lobel, Greta Cohn, and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Jake Halpern. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.